Thank you, Bob. Good morning. I'm going to invite you right now to grab your bulletin. Inside the bulletin is an insert, and that insert is something that uh, maybe you can use it over the next uh, 10, 15, 20 minutes or so as we go through this message. On one side, there's actually the outline of the message that uh, I'm going to be preaching this morning in place where you can take notes. Uh, All of the scripture references are there. On the back side of it is what we call the MPG. It's about taking the sermon a little bit further down the road, not allowing the Word of God just to, to, to hit our heart once in this hour, but to take it further down the road, further down the week. And MPG stands for Memorize, Pray, and Glorify. There is a verse for you to memorize this week. There is a prayer for you to pray this week as well. And then the, in the Glorify section, it's a very practical way, some in, uh, a way to... To, to pray this week that makes this message very, very practical in what it and how it pertains to what we're going to be talking about this morning uh, with our, our theme. Now, it's the beginning of the year. We're rolling out our theme for 2022, and it is the word... Oh, let's try that again. We have, <laughs> we have a theme this year. It's one word, and the word is? Reach, reach right? And that theme has three components to it. There is reach up, reach out, and reach deep. Reach up, reach out, and reach deep. When we talk about reaching up, that's about worship. Worship matters. Worship is important. And our definition of worship that we used a couple of weeks ago as we talked about this particular element of our theme is this. Worship is the conscious, daily response of gratitude and joy of the created for the Creator. I'll say that again. Worship is the conscious, daily response of gratitude and joy of the created for the Creator. We want to be the kind of church in this community whose worship makes God interesting to people who have not really been all that interested in God. And at the same time, we want in our worship to say that God is still in control, that God is still the supreme value of the universe. And that's reach up. Reach out is about sharing the good news of Jesus. It's about sharing the gospel. It's about the kingdom of God and the good news that comes to us because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And two weeks ago, we talked about this parable that Jesus tells. And in the parable, he is basically defining the kingdom of God this way. That the kingdom of God is like a feast of love to which everyone is invited. The kingdom of God is like a feast of love to which everyone is invited. And this year, we want to be the kind of church in this community that not only invites everyone to the table, but welcomes everyone to the table. That's the kind of church we want to be this year and from here on out. Now, we're going to look at the final and the the third component or element of of our theme this year, which is reach deep. And that is the kind of people that God is calling us to be through His Spirit, through His Word, through Jesus, the kind of disciples of Jesus we are called to be. Now, let's think about the world. The world that we live in the world in which we're called to be disciples. We live in a world, we live in in a time where it's hard on our souls. Would you agree with that? 
We live in a world that is hard on our souls. I mean, even before the pandemic, we were living at this blistering pace. We were living at the speed of swipe. We had calendars that were crammed full of activities. And on a daily basis, we were entering the the social media circus of love and hate. The tragedies of an entire world. Regardless of where they happened in the world, the tragedies of an entire world are being streamed into our personal world multiple times during the day. You can't turn around without facing in our culture the issues of of, of race and of politics and economic turmoil. The pandemic for the past two years has been taking a physical and emotional toll on everyone on the planet. Our pandemic world, even though it looks like we may be getting see some light at the end of the tunnel, and it looks like if we are coming out of the pandemic world, that the world that we're in, entering into is going to be a world at war. It's a perfect storm to fry the human soul. It is a perfect storm to fry your soul and my soul. John Eldridge, a counselor, writes, it is that, that there is a madness in our moment. There is a madness in our moment. And as a counselor, Eldridge writes, that there's a growing body of research that suggests that continual exposure to traumatizing events, not just in person, but even on a TV screen as they come into our living rooms or, or as we listen to them in the car on the radio, or even as they come to us as push notifications, being, being uh, exposed to continuing trauma has an impact on our souls. Now we recognize that in-person experiences of trauma, whether it's war or battle or violent crime or severe injustices or whatever, can leave their mark on the human soul. But... It doesn't have to be literally in person to have an impact on the human soul. You don't have to be there in person, Eldridge writes, to have your soul traumatized. That you can just witness it or hear it on television or in the newspaper and your soul is going to be dinged and many times dinged multiple times during the day and we don't even realize it. But then we stop and we wonder why there's anger literally all over the place. Anxiety literally all over the charts. People are hypervigilant because of fear. It just seems like everybody is on high alert. People are hypersensitive, which leads to a lot of anxiety and a lot of broken relationships. And the bottom line, as we look and we we perceive all of this that's going on around us, we realize that our souls were never meant to carry this kind of load. Our souls are paying a huge price every day. And that's one of the reasons why we feel haggard and we feel rattled. We're wrung out and we're strung out and we're wiped out most of the time. And the result of our souls, your soul and my soul, being pushed pretty hard the last couple of years is that folks are becoming a little less loving with one another, a little less patient with one another, a little less relational with one another, a little less 
present to one another. There's a line from The Lord of the Rings where Bilbo Baggins is describing the, the weariness of his soul, the tiredness that goes all the way to the core of his being, and he says it's like being butter that is spread over too much bread. Who doesn't know what he means? But friends, this is, is not, by any stretch of the imagination, this is not the way that God intends the human creation, the human creature to live. This is not the God way or the God intention for humans. Think for just a second about Psalm 23, the most famous and most well-known of all the Psalms. It starts off by saying, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pasture, which is all about contentment. And then at the end of verse 2, beginning in verse 3, he says, He leads me beside what? Quiet waters. And leading me beside quiet waters, what happens? He restores my soul. Say that with me. He restores my soul. And this is not the only place where where David talks about the restoration of the human soul that is done by God. A couple of chapters later, over in Psalm 36, he's describing the experience of God's unfailing love, what that's like. And he says, beginning in verse 8, they feast on the abundance of your house. In the house of God, there's not this knowledge of lack. There's not the experience of lacking anything. Because not only is it his house, but he's our shepherd. We shall lack nothing. And then he says, you give them drink from your river of what? Delights. You give them drink out of your river of delights. What it is that when you're in God's house, When God is your shepherd and He's restoring your soul, is that you are taking in, drinking in deeply the delights of God. And verse 9 ends this way, For with you is the fountain of life. When you're in the presence of God, you are in the fountain of life. Life is overflowing. Life is just brimming to the top and cascading down. Now, that's the Old Testament. That's the the Hebrew Scriptures. We go a couple of centuries down the road. We go to John chapter 4 in the Christian scriptures. And Jesus, the incarnate word of God, God in the flesh, is now in his ministry. He's passing through Samaria. He stops at a well near the village of Sychar in Samaria. Disciples go off into Sychar to grab some food. Here comes a woman in the middle of the day with all of her issues, all of her all of her. Her, her, her pains and her hurts and her brokenness. And, and Jesus gets into a conversation with her. And Jesus turns the conversation to the reason that she's at the well is to get something to drink. But there's a thirst that's even deeper than the physical thirst, right? There's the thirst of the soul. And Jesus knows that she's thirsty, parched in her soul. And he says to everyone who drinks this water, that is the water in this well, this H2O that God has created, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never, ever, ever, ever again thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to 
eternal life. With you is the fountain of life, David said. Here is a truth to embed in our hearts for the sake of our souls. That God is not only the rescuer, but also the restorer of human souls. Is that good news? God is the rescuer and the restorer of human souls. Amen. I think as we think about this year, and we think about reach, and we think about reaching up in worship and reaching out to the community, I, I think that, that, that worship is going to be incredibly important because we are coming into this world with a message. And in worship we're saying that God is in charge of creation. That God is still the supreme value of the universe. In Him is life. And this is why we worship. But we also need to reach out with the good news to every person in our community who has had it up to here with the bad news that surrounds us daily. But at the same time, we also need to reach deep. To focus as human beings made in the image of God. As, as God's creatures, we need to focus on the restoration and the healing of our souls, especially over what we've experienced the last couple of years. Now, if you're a longtime member of our church family, or maybe you're new, or if you're visiting, you know that a core value of our church is discipleship. We, we love God, and we love people, and we, we change the world by making disciples of Jesus of Nazareth. You know, and I'll just, you, you know this, we, we say it all the time, Jesus never called anybody to be a Christian. He called people to follow Him, to be His disciple. And in so doing, He is asking them, teaching them, and instructing them to pattern their life, to, to mold their life, to form their life after His. And one of His best friends on earth, who became known to us as the Apostle John, wrote at the end of his life what I think is really the core of what it means to be a disciple. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6, he says, Whoever claims to live in Him, that is, to live in Jesus, must live as Jesus lived. The older translations of the NIV say, you walk as Jesus walked. Now, what does it mean? I mean, how do you walk after Jesus, after Christ, behind Christ, in a way that it comes, that it, it begins to restore your soul. Uh, let me give you an illustration, uh, uh, some, uh, an image to think about. There are two kinds of people when it comes to filling up a car with gasoline. There are, there's, you might say it this way, there's an Ellen and there's a Mark. When it comes to filling up the car, there's an Ellen and there's a Mark. My wife never lets her car get below half a tank. Car gets even close to half a tank. She's got to make a special run to Valero, fill it up, come back. Everything's good. Me, on the other hand, do not like going into gas stations. Necessary evil, but I don't like going. And I am the guy who waits until the pickup is on E, and the pickup literally says... You dummy, you need to get to the Valero station or you're going to get stuck out here in the middle of nowhere. There's an Ellen and there's a Mark. And the point is this. One of us tries to run mainly on full. The other one tries to run mainly on empty. Now, isn't that kind of the way that we sometimes approach 
our spirituality. And which do you think most closely resembles Jesus, running on full or running on empty? Well, that's, I want us to look at two passages. Bob Bowers just read one to us. In Mark chapter 1, very famous day in the life of Jesus. He's living in Capernaum. It's Shabbat, it's the Sabbath, and he goes into the synagogue, which is his habit, and he takes a scroll, he sits down in the seat of Moses, and he begins to teach. And he teaches for a while, at least long enough for the people to get really amazed and touched by what it is that he said. And they're amazed. I mean, this guy is a wonderful teacher. And then right at that moment, there's another cat that comes in, and he's possessed by a demon. And there's this, 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 uh, this conversation that Jesus and the demon-possessed man have. Jesus heals the man of the demon possession. And as they're leaving the synagogue, people are worried about Peter's mother-in-law. And so Peter takes Jesus to his house. Peter's mother-in-law has a fever. She's old. They're not sure she's going to make it. And, and Jesus heals her, takes her by the hand and helps her up. And he heals her so completely and so fully that she doesn't need time to recover. I mean, she's recovered. And she gets up and she begins to fix a meal for them. And then later that day, as the sun goes down, Saturday afternoon, Shabbat, the Sabbath is ending. Everybody, Mark says, in the town of Capernaum takes everyone who is sick or demon-possessed or was not flourishing in their body, and they take them to the place where Jesus is staying, and he spends the night healing them of everything that ailed them. And then in verse 35, we read, very early in the morning. How early was it? Well, it was still dark. Jesus gets up, he leaves the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And this going out to pray by himself was his way of life. In another place, Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. Again, it's the news about him that's so great. It's spreading and all the more... Crowds of people are coming to hear him, to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Let's think about those three words. Often. He did this going away often. It was his lifestyle. Jesus was not waiting until he was burned out to go to God. I mean, sometimes when we find you know, ourselves running on fumes, we're exhausted, we find ourselves a little impatient, we don't have what it takes for the relationships, and all of a sudden we realize, you know, spiritually, I'm not very full right now, and in a panic we go, i got to go to church, or i got to pray, or i got to read a scripture, or I need to go talk to an elder. That was not the way of Christ. He often filled up in order to run on full with God for everything that he faced. He did it often. Number two, he withdrew, which means that he's stepping away. He steps away from the busyness of life to be with God. It was important enough for him to say no to some things in order to disengage, in order to engage with God. And then number three, lonely. The word actually is eremos in in Greek, which means a solitary place, a place, an uninhabited place, a, a quiet place. And he goes away to this solitary, lonely place in order to create space in his life for God. Jesus needed God interrupted, and so do we. 
I mean, we think about Psalm 23. You know, he anoints my head with oil and my cup does what? Overflows, right? It runs over. We want this cup that overflows with joy. But friends, I'm telling you, it's hard to have a cup that overflows with joy if your cup is actually overflowing with disruptions and, and, and distractions. Now, I know that, that emptiness is, is something that we experience from time to time. So how do we typically deal with it? We're running on empty. And, and I'm not even talking about you know, something spiritually necessarily. I mean, at the end of the day, it's been a long day. There have been people problems and crises at work. And what is it? I mean, how do we deal with running on empty? We just want to go home and veg. And by veg, we mean... I want to go home and I want to binge something on Netflix and eat some ice cream and eat some popcorn. That, yeah, that's the way we do it, right? We go home, we binge watch something on Netflix, and what we binge watch on Netflix is usually something that adds to the traumatizing of our soul. And still, we have yet to address the state of our dinged-up souls. Here is a truth that I want you to think about for the rest of the day and, and into next week. When it comes to recognizing that our souls are taking a beating in the world, we must daily drink deeply of God. We must daily drink deeply of God. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say that to them. We must daily drink deeply of God. Now, I want to give you something very simple, one promise and one practice, and we're done. Just another couple of minutes. The promise is this. Jesus' brother James, his, his, uh, his brother that became well-known in the church, writes a, a general letter, letter to the church, and towards the end of that letter, in the fourth chapter, he gives this promise. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. That's a promise. You decide that you want to draw near to God, guess what God's going to do? God's going to draw near to you. You're, you can actually diminish and decrease the space between you and God. Which leads now to the practice. Psalm 46, we go back to David. And in our mind, we're thinking, i got to draw near to God. And God, I need God to draw near to me. Psalm 46, verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. The promise, you can draw near to God. The practice, pause. A little pause in the day. I want to challenge you to take 60 seconds for your soul. Hopefully it will expand into something bigger and bigger. But start off this way. It doesn't matter if you have children at home. It doesn't matter what your work schedule is. There is a moment in your day, at least three moments in your day, where you can take 60 seconds to work on the healing of your soul. In fact, we're going to do it right now. I want you to put your feet on the ground. And I want you to close your eyes and put your hands on your, on your lap. And I'm going to walk you through this one-minute prayer that you can do 60 seconds each day. We begin by take a deep breath in, hold, and let it out. Take a deep breath in, hold, 
slowly let it out. And then you pray. I choose to draw near to you, God. Please draw near to me. And you pause and you let that linger. And then I need to be still in your presence and know that you are God. I want to be still in your presence and know that you are God. And you pause. Fill my heart with your love and restore my soul with your presence. And then you pause. I put everything into your hands today. In Jesus' name, amen. And that's a minute. When you get into the car first thing in the morning to go to work, before you drive, I'll take just one minute, 60 seconds. This prayer, if you need it, is on the back of the MPG. There's another, I mean, you can make up your own prayer based on Scripture, but I've included what we just prayed in case you want to use it. At lunch, before you eat, take a minute for your soul. When you get home in the evening, before you get out of the car to go into the house, take a minute, take 60 seconds, pray this prayer. Before you go to bed, as you're laying down, closing your eyes, breathing in deeply, pray this prayer. You know, one of the things that, that God promises through Jesus is an abundant life. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 10. Verse 10, I came that you may have life and have it in abundance. God does not intend for us to live in, in, in famine. God does not intend for us to live outside of His presence. That's why He promises through Christ Jesus to give us this kind of abundance. But we ask ourselves, how can it even be possible in a world like this? How can it be possible for God to do this? Well, you remember God the Father existed in all of eternity with God the Son who who loved God the Spirit, who loved God the Father, who loved God the Son. Perfect peace, perfect love, perfect harmony, enjoying and celebrating each other. And then God the Son left, left that, that oneness and came to earth and lost all of that oneness, lost all of that love, lost all of that peace, lost all of that harmony and came to earth and suffered on the cross so that we might get it back. And that's how it becomes possible. That's how it becomes possible to draw near to God and to know that God will draw near to you and that not only does He rescue your soul, He restores your soul. He restores your soul with abundance. Let's stand and sing.